Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 287 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Um, thanks for tuning in, guys. I'm joined today by uh, Frank Turner, another returning guest. I don't have loads of them. I do keep them... I do have returns kept sparingly. Uh, Sarah Pascoe returned recently. It's one of the, the best chats that we've had. So that was that was a great one. But Frank was a perfect fit. Um, I'll keep the intro brief as ever. I'll talk more in the outro. I've got some things to tell you guys about. Um, one thing is that there's going to be um, a giveaway on the podcast starting next week of some signed copies of my Distraction Pieces book. But I'll tell you about that later. Frank was previously on the podcast like four years ago. So it felt high time he returned. And it was all kind of around his new album and his new podcast, which we talk about loads. So I won't go into it much now. I'll just tell you, if you enjoyed this one, you might want to go back and listen to the Billy Bragg episode, the first Frank Turner episode. Uh, Beans on Toast has been on all sorts of good people, uh, other other musicians. I had a Serge Pisano of, 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 of Kasabian recently. Um, and I've had loads of, yeah, great mu- musicians over the years. Uh, Wes Borland comes to mind. Um, yeah, go and have a listen. Enjoy them all. And I'll chat at the end. Obviously, as ever, I'm recording a lot of podcasts at the moment. If you want to kind of get a preview of who's up and coming, um, I post a picture after every one that I record um, over at patreon.com slash screwbiuspip. It's a dollar a month and you get a monthly piece of spoken word recorded up there specifically for Patreon, Distraction Pieces, Rewinds, loads of other stuff. As ever, we got speech development com, But you know about that. And me and Frank will talk about the kind of life of independent musicians and the hustle. And that's kind of why I send people to speech development com every episode. But um, yeah. I'll leave that now. Um, this is Frank Turner returning. The return of the Turner on the Distraction Pieces podcast. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. Kind of continue on. We can subject. ease into it. Yeah. Or, or we were just talking about when recordings have gone wrong. I didn't want to start mid conversation because you were talking about someone who was lovely, and I didn't know if you'd want that recorded because yeah. they were lovely. And it, <laughs> they it were lovely. Their fault. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was about somebody who who did a wonderful interview and then realised that um, they hadn't press recorded the thing, and uh, uh, they were so uh, nervous about it because it was the first time they decided to, to just do the interview again. Because you, you know, you got to give people. Yeah, a chance on these. I, I I did um, Eddie Bravo's podcast in America, and Eddie Bravo is is lovely. He's a big conspiracy theory guy, right? Um, and the podcast we were recorded for around five hours. It might right. be just under. Wow! Um, and then I got a phone call the next day, and he was like, "Pip." We got to do it again. <laughs> Didn't record. There was a corruption. The files corrupted. Oh. So, and I, on that one, I was like, "Nah." I was, I was, it was in LA. I was only in LA for like a week. I was like, I can't do it. Like, I'll do it next Five time I'm hours. over. But yeah, yeah, that was it. It's, it's one time. thing to reignite that vim and enthusiasm for a half an hour interview. Yeah, or 20 for a five hour interview. Five it's hours. like, yeah. nah. Yeah. I was like, we're just going to I'm not even sure it. I've ever done a five hour interview. It was That's intense. intense. Yeah. I'd done Joe Rogan's podcast before right. and he does two to three hours. Right. 
and Eddie's a friend of Joe's. And I was like, I'll go and do his. And yeah, it just went and went. And crazy. Because they sm- smoke while they're doing it as well. Yeah. So that makes <laughs> time so, slow down or yeah. speed up in their heads. The, the thread starts to wander a little bit. Yeah. At times, yeah. Well, I mean, I should mention, I'm here today with... Frank Turner, how are you, sir? I'm very well. It's nice to see you. Um, yes, and uh, you. And this is my, I'm very pleased to say my second time. Yes, it's, 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 it's quite rare I have returns. I know, I'm very uh, privileged. This year is one of the first times I've started doing it, but we had such a good one the first time. Yeah. And loads of what we talked about. It's still one of my favourites because oh. there were so, so many realisations that we were at the same gigs. Yeah, 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 we totally. were into yeah, yeah, so yeah. much of the same stuff growing yeah. up. And I'm going to warn people now that this is possibly the least prepared I've been for a podcast because we've literally, <laughs> we've knocked this up in the last couple of days. I bumped into you at Acast yep. a week or so ago yep. and then we lined this up two days ago and you go on tour tomorrow so we couldn't yep. really do it another time. Is time is limited, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but thank, uh, thank you very much for coming. We're at my house in North London. Oh, it's I'm very, beautiful, yeah. Very lovely of you to come around. Yes, that's it. It was one of them. I looked at it and I was like, well, maybe we should do it when you get back from tour, but then... You've got other huge life I certainly events do. going yeah. on then. Yeah, I'm, go- I'm going on tour. I'm on tour for like about three weeks and I get home, I've got four days off and then I get married. Yeah. Um, which is going to be uh, awesome. And the table that we're sitting at has the beginnings of a seating plan on it, which yes. is kind of nightmarish. Um, but how's, yeah. how's that? Because you're someone <laughs> who's toured constantly for years, but you've always been quite involved in the tour yeah. and the organising of sure. the tour managing. Is, obviously, you've got people you work with, but yeah, yeah, yeah. this is a there, different kind of organisation. Well, there are familiar moments. Yeah. There was a day the other day when I was talking about sound check times, like channel lists for yeah. the band, yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. sound guys and all this kind of thing. And I was just like, this feels familiar. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's really exciting. You know, I mean, lots of people said, oh, you know, it can be a nightmare organising a wedding. It's really fun. It's just... It's organising a massive party for your family and your friends. Yeah. That's all right. Do, do you ever have to remind yourself it's not a tour or a gig? Because I, I I went on... I don't have have holidays very often. It's something I'm trying to change. But right. the, there was a time about four years ago that I went on a holiday with, with my partner at the time. I'd been on tour and I had a, a week-long gap and we were going around f- France. Right. And I'd planned it out. And just because it was the easiest way to plan it, I used my tour book template (laughs) 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 so literally my holiday i'd I'd, I'd scribbled out sound check time but i had hotel arrival times distance yeah Yeah. all all the different bits i generally had lobby call because i was like down it went down all right because it was easier for the other person right if i've got it that organized then it's like well i don't have to worry about it he he knows what we need to do yeah sure i that i mean (laughs) wow genuinely i put it in the tour book template at the top I didn't know how to take away the artwork of my album that my tour manager <laughs> put in there. So our holiday wow. had my artwork in the top Amazing. corner. And I had well, I, I definitely. I, I, this is this is a serious thing that touring people have, though. I find when I do go on holiday, quite often a conflict that I've had with with partners in the past is that, like, quite often when I get around to holiday, what I want to do is sit very very still mm-hmm. and do absolutely nothing at all. Yeah because my professional life involves rushing around, screaming, running around the world. And, uh, you know, I remember years and years and years ago with um, a, an ex of mine, we went on holiday and she's, she was in event planning, but she worked in an office and she sort of produced like an itinerary yeah. for what we were going to do on the holiday. And I was like, put that fucking thing away. <laughs> yeah. I do not want to see an itinerary. This is a pool that yeah. has a cocktail bar in the middle of it. We're covered. Add, yeah, it's like, I'm not going anywhere for yeah. two weeks. And it was a source of conflict. 
The other thing that springs to mind, my old sound guy once, we got back after 13 months on tour. Yeah. And uh, famously for us, he walked downstairs in his first morning home and ran into his wife and said, where's catering? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it didn't go down well. I love it. It's weird because these things, it's a weird life because mm. you do have, as said, it can be, it can affect mental health a lot because... Yeah. The, the beautiful part of touring is you have an itinerary. You have every morning, you know exactly what you're doing, yep. what your goals are. Yeah, yeah. So when you come off tour, that can be a thing to, that needs adjusting because you're waking up and going, so what do I do today? Where Absolutely. am I meant to be? Well, my, my own, uh, talking mental health and stuff, I mean, it's in that ballpark. My, my issue that I kind of went through in the last decade was that um, my substance abuse problems got seriously out of hand. And a big part of the reason they got out of hand was because I used to tour so much I only ever have about five days at home, so I come home, have a massive blowout party, yeah. recover for a couple of days, go back on tour. Right, yeah. fine, the system works, and I wouldn't get messed up on tour. And then we reached a situation whereby I started having more time off tour. I come home, have a massive blowout, recover, and then still have nothing to do. So I'd have another massive blowout, yeah. and then recover, and still have nothing to do. So I have another massive blowout, and then suddenly it's, I reach a point where my chemical intake, should we say, yeah. was really, really out of hand, and it's because. I'd been on tour since I was 16 and I didn't know how to be an adult in a house without an really? itinerary. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And if there wasn't an itinerary, there was drugs. Yeah. I, I remember the, the, the first time I really, or one of the few times I felt close to being depressed or anything else. I'm lucky I've never really, I've had ups and downs in my life, sure. but I've never had really felt, oh, I'm in trouble here. And it was when I had a weekend of gigs booked in and they were cancelled last minute. And I was, I literally just sat in my house for the weekend because yeah. I'd kind of forgotten how to, to socialise, how yeah. to do anything else. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah, was totally. really, because at that point I was like, I'm working so hard, I'd love some time off. But because I didn't have enough time to figure out what to do with that time yeah. off, it really hit me hard because well, I was like, well, I don't know who to hit up. I don't know what's yeah, going yeah, on yeah. anymore. Well, so this has got very deep very quickly. Yeah, I love it. Um, cause, cause straight in. To, to, this is a thing I'm not sure I've ever really discussed in an interview before. But the other thing is, the social life of being a performer is not a normal social life because people Completely. know who you are, they know your name, they come up and they want to hang out and have a drink and all that yeah. kind of thing. And that's not quite going to the pub with your mates, you know. And I've definitely, there were moments in my life where I found myself, and again, I've never really said this out loud before, but like, you know, I sort of found myself drifting towards bars where I knew that people didn't know who I was because then, because it's an unequal uh, social power balance yeah, there. Yeah. And I didn't quite know how to do it without that. Do you know what I mean? And certainly, like, you know, I didn't know how to, like, start conversations with people because when you're on tour, everyone starts conversations with you. Yeah. So you don't need to, you don't need to be outgoing in a way. A hundred percent. There's, there's, there's the, the first part of the conversation is dealt with. There isn't the introduction, the mm -hmm. what do you do? There's, you can get straight yeah. to the in, engaging. People know who you are and they know about you. They ask you questions and then you can be charming and exciting and interesting because you're about to go on stage. And, but if yeah. you behave like that in a bar, that makes you an arsehole. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you just stand there kind of treating every, every conversation you might have as a potential interview. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's certainly a thing that I kind of had issues with socially. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But, but, but then equally, if that's all you're used to, it's hard to, to not right. use these but things then, like an interview. I've had that before where I've suddenly felt, or I'll get really self-conscious because I'm really uncomfortable. It's weird when you've got any job that's unusual like this because yeah. if you start yeah, yeah. talking about it, it sounds like you're showing off or right. trying to be a big shot. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you don't, it's weird because you're being all mysterious. But I've had that before where I've left somewhere and thought, Man, have I looked like a prick there? Because I've gone out oh, and been oh, interviewed, Pip. Oh, I've gone out and said, well, yeah. actually, there was this time on set when I did this, this, and this. And it's like, that's what I say in my interviews, but I don't 
That's all. That's the only interaction I have. Yeah, right, exactly. And and you and I, I do that all. You know, you lie awake at night when you get home, kind of going. Oh, this is a big thing. I've like, I didn't ask anyone any questions. I yeah. just got asked questions and answered yeah. them. And that's a terror. That's not. That's a, not an equal social relationship. And no. that used to indeed still does kind of keep me up at night. Like that failing potential failing. And and the other thing is, it's so difficult to find people to have a sympathetic conversation with this about because if you start talking about it, you just sound like you're up there and us. It's one of the things I've I've, I've I've said before. There was a period where I was dating someone um, who was far more f- famous than me, and it confused me because when I was meeting all of her friends, they were all s- super famous, but but all in different areas. And I thought, yeah. how it was LA, so, sure. so that's one explanation. But it's like, how do they all know each other? And then I realised that's exactly the reason they're drawn together because they can they can moan if they want to moan and not feel not like a prick. Like, I've, yeah, I've, yeah, I've mentioned yeah. it once or twice, but any. Everything is relative. If you're sure. if you're going through stress and you're feeling stress, no amount of oh you're living your dream is going to help that because sure. you're, oh, you're yeah. breaking. Whereas yeah. I'll sit down with my mates who work in shops, in factories, or whatever else, and I can't moan about how yeah, rough oh, my tour of America was and how yeah, I wanted yeah, to quit yeah. music altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, that, that LA to your London dream. flight, man, it's yeah. a pain in the ass, yeah. and everyone looks at you and kind of goes, "Really?" Yeah, yeah, but again, it's all it's all relative and it's all true. And I think we do get us talking on a podcast that comes out after this one, actually. But um, we were talking about um, how weird hip-hop can be as a a genre because there's almost a... And punk's a similar one. There's almost a a check card of, so how deprived was your life? How dark? Like like, um, Ice Cube, you know, he was poor, but then he went to college and stuff like that. So does that count? And Tupac, you know... His family, his mum was a drug addict, but he went to a good school and he, an acting school. Like a, he was like a ballet dancer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you start to question their credibility. It's like, why are we doing why, a why check card yeah, of yeah. How, 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 how sad was yeah, your yeah, upbringing? Yeah. Well, I mean, with punk rock, because punk rock's inherently more middle class, but yeah. it's like, it's definitely, yeah, it's about how rough were your early tours. Yeah. Uh, there was a, you know, the hard times... Yeah, uh, I love the hard times. And that one of yeah. my favourite articles I ever did was um, Henry Rollins' satnav voice just tells you how much harder it was to get there in the eighties. Brilliant. And um, I mean, and it Brilliant. made me laugh because I have a story. And it is a true story. The first tour I ever did was in '98, and I it was before satnav, and it was before the internet is what it is now. Um, and we got told I was sixteen. We got told before we left that if you couldn't find the venue, drive to the shit end of town and ask someone wearing a leather jacket, and Brilliant. it worked twice. Wow. wow. Yeah. Because, That's amazing. you know, we had a road out that didn't have that. I mean, not least quite a few of the shows on the tour squats, so not listed anywhere. Yeah. So, you know, you just, okay, where's the shit end of Leeds? Off you go. Guy yeah. wearing a jacket with an earring, and you're like, do you know where 120 Rats is? And he was like, yeah, I do, actually. It's, it's over there. And you're like, amazing. I love that. Just yeah. a natural, a cultural sat-nav. Yeah, exactly. You, you exactly. find yeah. who... who <laughs> I, when I first started to, and I've told this numerous times, but my... Trick. I was doing a thing where I was just touring the country, living in a van. I had no gigs booked. I was playing on street corners, and the and the sh- shortcut I found was rather than playing in town centres, things like was look at gig listings because if, for example, just picking anyone I played outside, if 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 Buck sixty five is in town, right, he's going to get everyone. If he's if he's playing in Cambridge, he's going to get all of my potential audience from Cambridge and literally line them up against a wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To so go so, there and perform yeah, outside, yeah, rather yeah, yeah. than on the street and hope that the one indie kid or the hip hop kid or the yeah. punk kid or whatever comes past. Yeah, and that's a, a similar thing. Of going right, where can I find? 
yeah. the right people. Well, it's, to... it's, it's, so this is raising an interesting thing for me. Uh, there's a word that I've been, I remembered the other day that I had completely forgotten and that I'm in the middle of considering trying to reclaim, which is Grebo. Yeah. You know, do you remember yeah. that? I remember you know, gr- and, Grebo. Yeah, definitely. and like we were Grebos because I had like baggy combat trousers yeah. and a wallet chain yeah. and sort of like bleached tips of my hair and yeah. stuff yeah. and a corn t-shirt. <laughs> Always home bleached. Yeah, home bleached. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, with help from your big sister. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you had to do it without yeah. burning your head. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just like, you know, so there, there was a moment when kind of like alternative and underground culture, it was a bit more kind of like, it wasn't quite as tribal because it was like, if you weren't into mainstream culture and you lived in a small town, if you didn't yeah. live in central London, you just had to kind of take what you could get. And if there was somebody else really? who wasn't just into Oasis then it didn't really matter if they were rave kids, you were going to hang out with them anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, was, I was thinking about this when Keith Flint died the other day. One of the things that was so powerful about The Prodigy to me when they first came out was that they were the unifying alternative bands yeah. for my generation. 100%. Do you know what I mean? It was like, and it didn't matter if you were a punk kid or a rave kid or whatever. The Prodigy had you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and you yeah. Were, you you'd were go to a team. prodigy gig and you'd see ravers, you'd see yeah. punks. You'd and, see and, and you were all kind of like, yeah, cool. Well, you know, at least we're not listening to... I mean, the thing is, I don't actually have a problem with Oasis, but they yeah. were the archetypal kind of... Yeah, they were the, the Britpop explosion mainstream. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. And it's like, if you weren't into that, where, yeah. where did you fit? But it's, it's a funny thing. I mean, I think the, the flip side of that comment is that, like, the internet's a funny thing because um, lots of us spend ages talking about the downsides of the internet, and there are many of them. Um, and I think it... But I guess what I'm talking about here, one of my frustrations is the kind of dewy-eyed kind of nostalgia of like, oh, do you remember tape trading? Do you remember flicking through record bins and all yep. this kind of thing? And it had a romanticism to it. But the example I always think of is when I was a kid, I started getting into hardcore punk and somebody somewhere told me that the Cro-Mags were an important band. Yeah. Right? In 1997, finding a Cro-Mags album in Winchester was not a thing that would ever happen. No. And I had to tape trade and tape trade and tape trade until I finally got like a fourth-hand copy of Age of Quarrel, which is a great record. Yeah. Um, nowadays, if anyone listens to this who's never heard of the Cro-Mags and is interested in hardcore history, they can be listening to a Cro-Mags record by the end of this sentence. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Phone out, boom. And that's good. It's yeah. a good thing. And like, you can get straight to the the cream of it as such, which is yeah. a great way to be introduced. The problem in the old, in the old days was um, <laughs> you'd hear someone's good, you'd buy an album... That band might have five or six albums at that point, and yeah. they might not all be, yeah, yeah, or yeah. they might not be instantly accessible. And if that's the one album yeah. that you can afford that month, then you've got that, yeah. and you're like, I don't get what this yeah, Chromax yeah, yeah. thing's about because it's I, not, I remember, it's not the most accessible I, album. I remember like um, Fugazi. I bought the wrong Fugazi album yeah. first. I bought like In on the Kill Taker first, which is a great record, but I still yeah. got like twelve songs or, or something first. And I remember it was really difficult, and I didn't get it. Yeah, <laughs> I did exactly the same. I'd been a massive Minor Threat fan, and then I yeah. got a Fugazi album that wasn't the right one, and mm. it was. I was just like, it's not for me. And then it wasn't until genuinely. Five, ten years ago, when um, I think it was Cecil Otter who did it, he did the Wugazi album oh, where yeah, he mixed yeah, yeah, yeah. Wu Tang Clan over Fugazi songs. And that made me go, Oh, wow, I do like Fugazi. Yeah. And it made me go and revisit all this stuff that I'm like, Wow, there's some amazing tracks. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the, now the, some of them are, yeah. are my favourite songs. And yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'd, totally. I'd completely written off that band because yeah. in the CD days, I'd got that one yeah. and gone, Oh, no. Yeah, well, also, there was a point in time there was an indie record store knew where I grew up and the guy who ran it knew sort of knew who I was and he used anything with epitaph written on it yeah. he put aside for me brilliant and I more often than not I'd buy it and sometimes it was great because I you know I'd stumble across stuff by like Pennywise or whoever yeah. but there were times when I'd sort of buy like a 
you know, like a Down by Law record or a sort of Jelly Beans or whatever. I'm not trying to slag these bands off. They're good bands, but it was just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of another punk album. It's it was, why it was the era that punk compilations were at mm. their peak, because that was it, getting the Hellcat Records compilations. Yeah, meant music, I, fat people. Yeah, but it meant I could go, right, here we go. Okay, I'll explore that band. It was that yes. way of looking into yeah. stuff rather than... I, you Picking can, random names. With it, within a very, very narrow demographic band, you can absolutely date somebody by which volume of the Epitaph yeah, sampler or yeah. the Fat Record sampler that they know best. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. I mean? It's just like, ah, oh, you were born in 1981. Yeah. <laughs> I, and and it's weird because, again, at that point, I don't think Afton had enough money to delve much deeper. So there was... Yeah. I always remember there was a song called Beautiful Girl on one of the, the Hellcat compilations that... I can't even remember the name of the band now. I yeah. could sing that song from beginning to end. It was one of my favourite songs of that whole right, year. Right. Yeah, I never bought a single record of that yeah, band yeah, yeah, or anything sure. else. But I was like, on that compilation. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's weird. The and then sometimes you have a thing where you're just kind of like hanging out at a show. I went, I was, I went to see, um, I went to see Real Big Fish last or well, a couple of years ago. Uh, the guys from Antifag were on the bill as well, yeah. and they're old friends. And Real Big Fish guys, I've got to know since, and they're lovely guys. Yeah. I wasn't super familiar with their stuff, and then and they were playing, and they were great. And then they dropped this one song, and I was like. I know this song from a sampler. Like, I know yeah. it. I know yeah. it backwards. Like, yeah. every bit of it. And it's like, that's, this is them. Oh, right. Okay, get it. Cool. S- Suicide Machines were one yeah. that I got into because of a sampler. Or maybe because of a, they were on a soundtrack of a game, I think, that's, for some yeah. reason. They were on a game. Yeah. And then it just, I delved into that back catalogue. And it was, a, it was an amazing few years of just, yeah. this is... There's a weird bit of Pavlovian, Pavlovianism with that. Because, like, we tour with, and our friends with, uh, Flog and Molly, like, to the end of the earth. Yeah. But, like... Nevertheless, every time they start drunken lullabies, I'm skateboarding. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? I'm yeah, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like I'm doing like a massive jump off. Yeah, it. it's so bad that pre-internet <laughs> punk compilations and Tony Hawk's computer games yeah. were the way of finding your new Find, band, yeah. your new punk totally. bands. What well, a bizarre world! I want a bizarre world, but also the thing about that though, and 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 I think that the fine art, the gateway band. Has, has diminished a little. Yeah. Not completely, though. Um, there is an, a temptation when you get into kind of more underground punk to be really snotty about gateway bands. And yeah. I certainly did that for a bit when yeah, I was sort of 17, sure. 18. And now, as, a, as an older man, I sort of I try really hard not to do that. You know, people like, oh, Green Day, I mean, you know, why aren't you listening to whatever, you yeah. know, name any other more underground band. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, but you wouldn't have heard the underground bands without Green Day. Completely. Or The Offspring, or Blink-182. You go or, for a period... Right, I went for a period that I was so proud that my first, in my first two or three gigs, it was Offspring on the Smash Tour and Green Day on the, on the Dookie Tour. Yeah, yeah. And then I went for a period where it was like, I can't really remember what my first gig was. Oh, yeah, when, yeah, yeah. When yeah. I could, and then, and then it came back to, no, that was, again, it yeah, was, that, was, that was an amazing time to be Yeah, totally. And that's music. Like, there, was, there have been one or two occasions, somebody once said of me like oh you know all you'll ever be is like a gateway band into underground punk and i'm like i'd be proud to Wicked. be that yeah yeah definitely. you know if all that ever happens is somebody goes away from this podcast and listens to the chromags yeah job done yeah you know or bad brains or whatever yeah know? exactly check, check these bands out well anyway the last time you came came on was I, I i checked it was episode 21 if anyone wants to go back to listen it was the 4th of march 2015 so it was Blimey. a fair while back yeah so i was Gonna say, kind of, what have you been up to since then? But <laughs> your new album, I want to talk about quite sure. a bit because I think okay. it's fascinating because there's a podcast crossover yes. in it as well. Yeah. So it's all is very much my world. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. But before we get to that, there's been two, two albums since, and one has got kind of a beautiful story behind it for me because you emailed me yeah. uh, before 
positive songs for negative people yeah. came out. Yeah. Because you realised that you had a song called Get Better. Which I'd nicked off. And it just title off, clicked yeah. that you'd, that you'd yeah. you know, it might, it, it, I had a song by that time. And it was nice because you sent an email just saying, you know, I've just realised this. And it was nice that I knew I didn't have to even hesitate and going, that's fucking, that's wicked. That's yeah. great. I love that but that's, that's it. Which is, which is how it should be, right? You know and I mean? c- because the beautiful part for me was I got that, that name from an interaction I had with Billy Bragg. Okay. So it feels weirdly, for, yeah. and it's got a Billy Bragg quote in that song. Right. Cause yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. I, I was gigging with Billy at some point and he had a cold. So instead of sh- shaking my hand, we gave it like an, an arm, arm bump. Yeah. And either, I, I, I don't know, both of us were, one of us said, get better yeah. as, as we were leaving. Cause he'd, he'd had a cold and this and that. And it was just this weird moment. that I was like, that's just, a, that should be the, the goodbye anyway. Because it's yeah. a positive thing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, yeah, saying totally. you're bad. It's just saying, I hope you keep improving. Yeah, we, and we've hope all life got continues room. to, to, to go on again. Yeah. yeah, 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 totally. So, so it's well, beautiful. Again, I won't go into tons of detail, but, but for anyone who doesn't know, when you did Wembley, yeah, you had us and beans the, on toast and Billy Bragg yeah, yeah. as your as your your openers. So yeah, it felt kind of the perfect one yeah. to go. To no, pass around. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm glad that worked out that way, man. I mean, it's a funny thing. Like, you know, I had a thing um, more recently than that, where um, and the thing is, like, I think any musician who says that they don't end up realizing sooner or later that bits and bobs have been unconsciously borrowed from somewhere else is talking out their ass. Um, you know, it's impossible to be somebody who's well versed in music and to be completely on top of all of that all the time. And uh, I had a line in a song that I realized was a nod charitably put to a lyric by Corey Brannan, who's a friend of mine. Right. He's an American songwriter, incredible songwriter. And, uh, and again, I sort of sent him a message and went, hey, man, yeah, I think I'm next, <laughs> a sort of slightly next lyric off you. I hope you don't mind. Yeah. And he was just like, man, it's all stolen. Yeah. He was like, everything's stolen. Completely. Um, you know, and that, that, I think, is how, how it should be. That's, as yeah. an artist, like... And at the, at, the, at the end of the day, it's a compliment as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Completely. It's like, you know, that song of yours clearly got under my skin. Yeah. And uh, and and when I was writing it, it came out. So, yeah, yeah. you know, thank you. I love that. But, yeah, no problem at all. So it's, <laughs> as how's it, it, it been? You've had another album since then. Yeah, so, well, so... And, you know, you are someone who who will tour the arse off of a year. Yeah. Kind of thing. So, so, <laughs> so how's it been, kind of? Yeah. I mean, well, it's a funny thing. Like, I'm now at that point. This is the, the new record that's coming out um, about... A month after which, or less than a month after we're chatting, it's my my eighth solo album. Yeah, you know, and that's a that's an unusual thing to be able to say out. Loud. And I just want to say that when this is out, it will already be out because okay, this is right, going yeah, out in yeah, a month yeah, or yeah, so. Sure, but sure, sure, people sure. will be able to get it yeah, now, yeah, so, and we're going to talk about it a lot. And there's yes. going to be a lot they want to yeah. get. But no, yeah, but yeah I mean, I I how to I'm going to try and say all of this without sounding up my own ass, <laughs> um, and we'll see. You can tell me how I've done once it's been done. <laughs> I just think that like. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of cliches about first albums and second albums, mm-hmm. and it's kind of about third albums as well. And once, by the time you get to an eighth album, first of all, there's no roadmap. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And secondly, like, it's kind of, you're sort of, to a degree, you're kind of inarguable. The fact that I'm putting out my eighth record and it's yeah. still at the level that it's at and we're still playing the kind of shows we're playing. You know, there, there are people who don't like my music in the world, and that's fine. Nobody likes everything. I think, of course. whatever, each their own. And um, But it's like, it's kind of, you can't quite argue that I'm completely valueless in what I do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's got to be something going on to make eight records. Completely. And the thing that I'm proudest of, in a way, is survival. Because when I was a kid, I told everybody I wanted to be a, a touring musician. Everybody laughed. Then I became a touring musician. But you and I both know that the vast majority of people who get a chance to do this at all get 
four to five years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Before yeah. reality kicks in. Um, and that's not a judgment on their quality in any way. Not in because, the slightest. Because luck comes into it and indeed your own sort of stamina, per, mental health, whatever. Um, all these kind of things kind of play into it. And just to be able to sit here and be like, yeah, I've been doing this since 2005 and my eighth record's coming out, it's... That's, that makes me. I'm, I'm. I'm quietly proud of it. Yeah. In a way that's not on my own ass. No, no. It's <laughs> it's something that's that's worthy of that. I always remember just the excitement of me and Dan doing our third record, and the the, the excitement there was that we completed the deal that we were given by the yeah. record label, and because yeah. that was a thing at that time. When Bands would get a three album deal, and then you, they would most of them would do one album or two, and then get dropped, yeah, and it'd be yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. So, well, any most I see the vast majority of musicians, myself included, when you sign a deal, you're not paying that much attention to the number of albums it talks about because no. you're like, yeah, that's never going to happen anyway. Yeah, it's like sign a five album deal, and you go, <laughs> okay, all right, yeah. whatever. Um, and then and then it fucking if it happens, it's kind of like, oh my god, like the the small print at the end of the contract actually now kicks in. Yeah, and that yeah. was it. It was. Touring at the time or early days with people like Jack Peñate or yeah. or Kate Nash, all people that I looked up to massively, I think are amazing songwriters. All of them got these deals and then never got to the end of it. And yeah. you know, most of them have gone on to release amazing stuff outside yeah, of it yeah, anyway yeah, sure. and done yeah, yeah. amazing independent stuff. But yeah, it's it's those weird things where you go, "Fuck, I'm allowed to think that's an achievement. I'm yeah. allowed to be proud yeah. of that that you we know? we that we well, did it." A couple of years ago, probably since we last talked, I, I had this really odd thing happen. Um, I was playing a festival in New Jersey, of all places, and uh, and I w- I sort of noticed that I was the oldest guy on the bill. It was a very kind of young punk rock yeah. festival, and that's fine. I, I mean, not by much, but just... And then just hanging out in the backstage, because I was playing solo, I was travelling solo, it was just me and my guitar. And, uh, and uh, I was chatting with people, trying to make friends and all the rest of it, and um, I just got the impression that I was being slightly glad-handed. <laughs> and like kind of like treated a little bit like an elder statesman yeah and initially i was really resistant to this idea i was like fuck off i'm like i'm one of it i'm about? one of you but i'm, I'm like i'm not an old man and then and then it was just kind of like well actually hold on a minute here you guys were all still in secondary school when i put out my first record yeah you know completely. and and that was quite a long time ago now and like and now you know i can say that there are there are people in bands now who weren't born when i started touring yeah. Do you know what I mean? And pe- people in successful touring bands now who weren't born when I started touring. And yeah. that that's an in- inescapable that's fact. mad, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, I started to... <laughs> people who w- were born in the summer when I started touring are now 21. That's insane, yeah. How mad is that? Yeah. And, 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 and that's the thing. It kind of, like, after a while, it's sort of like some of the kind of vicissitudes of, uh, and the bitchinesses of punk scenes or, or music more generally, mm-hmm. the industry, whatever, a lot of that stuff starts to kind of just lose its edge after a while yeah. because you just kind of go, you know what, I've seen it before and, and like, I've been around and it's, you know, you get some young new indie band they're like, yeah, we're playing Brixton and I'm like, yeah, I did Brixton. Yeah, yeah. Quite a long time ago now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, speaking on that longevity, r- rather than tours, because tours change because venue size changes yeah, yeah. and that's that's a i think we discussed it a load on the last one because yep. of arenas and all this kind of thing. yeah yeah how have you found your experience of festivals changing over the years because this is, is something that when we bumped into each other the other week we touched yeah. upon briefly because i know that you were someone there was you i'd say if i saw Kate Tempest on a lineup. I'd know that she'd be playing at least five times that weekend. Um, <laughs> Beans on toast, obviously. Yeah, yeah, if he's yeah. if he's officially listed anywhere, yeah, he's you're going to like barely turn times. a corner without watching yeah, him play. Yeah, yeah. So, 
this, I was like, this year at Glastonbury, I, we were lost trying to find where to get our credentials from, whatever, yeah. just driving around. Then we were in a buggy, and then I saw Jay in the distance, and I was yeah. like, it's almost certainly over there. And it yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, of course. He's a beacon. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. he's that guy. He's the guy in the, in the leather jacket who needs to, exactly. to tell you where he's, the, he's the squat is. Flesh. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so how has it changed? Because I mm. feel, again, in my early days, and I was only touring, I was touring for 10 years, before I paused slash stopped slash whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and my experience changed from going for the whole weekend and experiencing everything to partly because I was doing a few each weekend, yeah. turn up, do my gig and leave. Yeah, and yeah. then it got to the point of if I'm even doing one, I would normally, unless there was someone on I really wanted to see, turn up, do my gig and, and leave. leave. Yeah, yeah. So how's that kind I think, of developed I think that's for you? True. I mean, I, I certainly, a thing I've learned over the years is that mixing work and play doesn't work for me yeah. anymore, if it ever did. Yeah. But I mean, there were definitely festivals I did when I was younger where I'd sort of turn up, play, then get completely wrecked. And then there were, and there were occasions where I'd then have to play again and it would be a fucking shambles. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, like, yeah. Um, uh, so I try not to do that anymore because I'm older and wiser. Uh, but I mean, you know, you're, you're doing, I've, I've sort of given up camping at festivals. I did 27 one yeah. year, 27 camping festivals. That's too much, And I just, man. I just got fucking sick of Again, it was a tent. revelation for me the day I swallowed my punk rock pride and got a B&B mm. for, and it was like, wow, I can, particularly the doing a few shows over a weekend. It's like, yeah. wow, I can be fresh and I can yeah, be 100% can and clean and feel show, like I can yeah. do and not a be full like show. scraping yourself onto the stage. Exactly. Yeah. I think the other thing I say that's changed for me personally is, because obviously the festival scene's kind of changing and evolving over time, um, which I think is good. But I think, you know, I've sort of, at the moment, like, I, I don't, I don't play the sort of hot, exciting new band slot anymore for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And there was a moment in my life when I was kind of annoyed about that. But actually, I think I'm taking that with equanimity now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I mean, the, the example is Reading Festival. I did 10 years in a row. It's the record. I'm proud of that. But it's just kind of like uh, every year people are like, oh, you're playing Reading again. And the thing is, after, after I did the 10th year, both Reading and I both kind of went, maybe let's take well, a let's, break let's, here. Yeah. And I'm at a point now where like, if they ask me to play again, I'll probably do it. But it, I'm not losing sleep over whether or not I play Reading anymore. Yeah. Whereas there was definitely a period of time when I would. But it's just like, now, you know, I'm doing Cropperty, I'm doing Folk by the Oak, I'm doing, you know, the, these kind of festivals instead. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's more kind of the independent festival scene. And I tend to headline, but medium-level festivals, rather than try and get a good slot at the biggest festivals kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, for the time being, that feels pretty good, actually. Yeah, it's nice to have those kind of changes and be yeah. and be conscious that they're not, there's no good or bad in this situation. You can, tr- can try it all out. If you find next year, it's like, no, I really want to push for this right. festival yeah. or a small oh, yeah. slot can, here or whatever. Yeah. You can change your approach to it. But, I mean, well, that then also brings up, this, and this goes back to what we were saying about longevity, is that there is a level on which, like, I'm grateful to have work. Yeah. And, and, and I don't want to be overly precious about kind of saying, oh, well, you know, uh, I have to play this kind of slot, that kind of slot, whatever. It's just kind of like, you know, if I've got a summer where I'm out playing gigs and there's people there who's enjoying yeah. it, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not going to get too picky about, well, I, you know, was it the right festivals? Or a, 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 a one of the things Stephen Graham said when he was on air was he was saying how, obviously acting, there needs to be some level of choice and, and distinction of what's good and what's bad. But he was yeah. like, also, equally, if I was a decorator, I wouldn't get asked to come and decorate this house and go... Nah, it's not really my kind of house. <laughs> you go and do yeah. what you're paid and yeah. trained to do. Yeah. He's exactly. paid and yeah. trained to act, so he will go and 
again, within reason, he will go and yeah. do what he's paid and trained to do. And it's a right. similar thing there with well, gigging. And, is- and, and another way of putting that as well is the thing I said right at the beginning. And in the in the early days, people used to think this was a really punk thing for me to say. And then there was a period of time when people thought it was a really not punk thing for me to say. And it was the same thing all the way through, which is that I will play, I will open for fucking anyone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that music fans are music fans. And I'm not going to sit there and be kind of like, well, the kind of people who like Ed Sheeran don't deserve my music or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah, do you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's it, it strikes me as extremely unlikely, but if Ed Sheeran ever said, do you want to open a show, I'd do it in a shot. Yeah. Similarly, if Slayer asked me to open a show, I would do it in a shot. 100%. Do you know what I mean? Because, because I'm a trained performer. That's what I do. And and my job is to try and entertain audience. I mean, we've had shows where we've played on some really metal bills and it's been a bit of a challenge. Um, <laughs> we yeah. Were, yeah. You know, we were on immediately before Dimmu Borgir the other day. Wow. Um, and that was, you know, there were some people who got their spot on the barrier who weren't super interested in what I had to say. Yeah. Um, similarly, like, I remember when we did um, uh, Rhode Island um, Newport Folk Festival. Right. You know, the classic. Where yeah, yeah, Dylan yeah. played and all the rest of it. I mean, there is an element of folk in, in what I do when I play an acoustic guitar, but we were on quite a punk summer tour and I took the decision that we were just going to play the set we were doing yeah. and, and fuck folk fans kind of thing. And we were the heaviest band on the bill, approach-wise, by, by uh, several orders of magnitude, yeah. by a country mile. And, you know, everyone's sitting there in little deck chairs and they've got, like, carpets out in the first one and everything. Yeah. We came in and I jumped off the kick drum and was like, ah! And, uh, and it was actually awesome yeah. because, like, people kind of got into it. And I said after a couple of songs, I was like, sorry if I'm kind of, like, knocking over anyone's thermos, yeah. but, uh, but here we are. I love that kind of thing because it's, it's putting your... It's opening yourself up to a risk of, yeah. of failure, but it's, it's also putting out the chance of p- pushing some people's tastes in a direction right. they well, wouldn't have gone. I, th- I think that, that the kind of the, the, the sort of people's desire to ghettoise music genre-wise or whatever, it displays quite a low faith in people's taste. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't actually think that somebody who goes to a folk festival is incapable of liking a punk song. Completely. I think they probably choose not to listen to them very yeah. often, but in the context of a sunny afternoon on Rhode Island, they might enjoy it, and they did. I, I, I was at the Roundhouse last night for an amazing sh- show called The Barbershop Chronicles, which right. by the time this comes out will be over, but I think it's touring. It's amazing. And I was with my missus and I was like, I've definitely gigged it before. I've never headlined it. And then it twigged that it was supporting, again, Billy Bragg, who's coming up a lot um, here. But I, was, I was there. It, it, it was one of my <laughs> favourite gigs because me and Dan were really nervous because Billy, at that point in particular, but for most of his career, it's just him and a guitar. Yeah, And yeah. me and Dan are supporting and there's a laptop and some yeah. synths. There's no visible, recognisable instruments on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And, but Billy had booked us because he felt that we were cut from the same cloth and what we were saying worked. And yeah. I loved it because it, it it took a while. At first, people were like, what's this? And then yeah. by the end, they were on board. Yeah, and it's, yeah. It really well, meant the world. And, and there's nothing more satisfying than acing a support slot. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You walk out on completely. stage and have many thousand people go, eh? And then, and then And if you can walk off to the room applauding. Yeah. Because me and my band, we, we absolutely, we, we were all right. And then in from 2010, 2012, we were basically constantly on tour in the States, opening for <laughs> Dropkick Murphy's, Social Distortion, Flogging Molly, Offspring, bands like this. Yeah. And, um, and it was the same shit every night. 2,000, 3,000 people who didn't know who we were and didn't give it to us. Yeah. And like Social D fans in particular, and I, I am a Social D fan, but yeah. like American Social D fans, it's, it's an older guy. He's wearing like camo trousers and a flat cap. Yeah. He doesn't give a toss yeah. about support bands. And you walk on and he's like, oh my God, it's an English guy with an acoustic guitar. Who yeah. cares? And then by the end of the show, he's clapping and he's enjoying, he's singing along. And it's just, it's a really tangible, like, 
you chalk it up. Do you I, know love, what I, mean? like, yeah. I love that I can instantly imagine the guy that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's either a black, a maroon, or a dark green T-shirt. Yes, yeah. Which is from a social detour from the early 90s. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. Well, let's talk about your new record. Yes, Because I right, don't want to yeah. <laughs> miss that, because there's loads... Man, it's... It, after we bumped into each other at ACAST, I was there recording with Carrie Ad Lloyd. So we had a, a very brief chat. Yeah. Um, and then after I'd finished, I was like, so why was Frank here playing songs and talking to you guys? I was like, oh, he's got a new album. But it's all based on amazing women throughout history. And yeah. he's doing a podcast episode for each one to yeah. go along with it. And I was instantly like, oh shit, that sounds, that's, that's yeah. so my world. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I, I, the, I love all of the it. The first thing I should say is that I really feel like I've learned a newfound respect for what you do <laughs> in terms of, I've been on podcasts a million times in my life, but the first episode we recorded where I was in the driving seat was yeah. kind of terrifying. It was just yeah. like, oh my God, what do I do? It's, it's, I, was, I was chatting with Sarah Pascoe recently and it was after, after we'd recorded and she, she was saying that she feels podcasts have got a new respect in the last year or two. And I was yeah. like, that's because now everyone has tried having one. Yeah, right. We've and they've discovered got to the point, it's quite hard. We've literally got to the point where <laughs> everyone has had a podcast and now they're like, oh, this isn't as easy as I thought. Yeah. This is tricky. Yeah, it is quite tricky. <laughs> um, but it's but the other the thing I like about it as well is, so the, to briefly speaking, I, I wanted to write a storytelling record. I've written enough, for the time being, I've written enough records about <clears throat> the affairs of my own heart. Do you yes. know what I mean? I feel like I've, I've covered that topic quite extensively. Um, and songwriting's a broad church, and I wanted to do a storytelling record, start writing some interesting stories. Um, after a while, figured out that everything I've written to date was about a female protagonist yeah. uh, and decided to go with that yeah. um, as a theme. But um, I wanted to... So a lot of the lyrics quite involved. It's quite, you know, it's quite detailed history in places. Yeah. And I was like, well, I've got to have cliff notes on this out there somewhere. Do we put out a record with the biggest line of notes in the history of the universe ever? Yeah. But nobody buys physical records anymore, yeah, so what's the fucking yeah. point of that? I had some meetings in the TV world and it was annoying. Um, I mean, with yeah. no disrespect to the people I was talking to, um, but it was just like, yeah, it might take about a year and a half to get into production. Um, and could you write some other songs that are about more famous people? And, yeah. all this? and it just, the vibe wasn't right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then, it's nuts. I had, yeah, I had a meeting with some podcast production people and I pitched my idea as such as it was and they went cool yeah and i was like what and they said yeah yeah it sounds good Let's i do genuinely that. think it's what's exciting about podcasts is it's similar i think youtube is a similar thing as well yeah where more comedians but people will be able to try stuff out yeah if they went to tv it'd be like so what's the demographic of this and how long yeah, is it? And, and then yeah. it'll just be years in the making whereas particularly with comedy and i want to push for it to be more with drama. I want mm. there to be more YouTube shorts and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because I think it's such a... It's now affordable to do these smaller things yeah. and it's such a good... And, and podcasts as well is where people are willing to take that risk and take yeah. that gamble. And this is a, right. a prime example well, of that. Well, and it, and it reminds me of the democratisation of music, particularly when you look at kind of like grime and stuff like that, like yeah. someone like Dizzy Rascal. Dizzy Rascal didn't have the music to and the, the money and the equipment to make... A, a major label debut recording. He yeah. just he did it with the PlayStation Music game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And a mic, yeah. and yeah, then made yeah, one yeah. of the best records ever fucking made. Yeah, and and it and it finds its own audience, and it breaks down all those kind of barriers to access. Yeah, that, and the, the sort of the authority structures that come with a high barriers to entry and high capital requirements and all yeah. that. And and like say, so I mean, nowadays to to film something for YouTube to get a camera, you could. I mean, I've shot music videos on my iPhone in yeah. the past. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it was. 
So I've done two on my iPhone, and both of them were ones which the label was like, mm, I don't know about this, we're not going to front you five grand or ten grand or whatever it is. So I've got a couple of mates on my iPhone and a good filter yeah. uh, and spent a couple of days fucking around with it, and they had a music video. Oh, one of my f- f- films of the year in 2017 uh, was a film called Tangerine, right. and it was all shot on iPhone, and it's weird because it got a lot of hype because of that. If you watch it, you can't tell. It's yeah. not like it's... a a Blair Witch type found sure. footage thing. It's this beautifully shot film, and they obviously had rigs for holding the iPhone yeah, and nice yeah, and yeah. things like that. So, so, so <clears> it's all smooth, yeah, stuff, yeah, exactly. But it showed that you can, yeah, you. And again, there's still production. They're still going to have some lighting, but still, sure. it's the the fact that you can do all these things. Well, it feels kind of. I want to see a lot more of it. It's, it feels it's, completely it's, punk. It's, it's the DIY I think that's why ethic. it appeals to me. It's like yeah. all my music videos I've made and direct, or a lot of them I've made and directed myself. It's me and my mates for like. 100 quid. It's yeah. like, well, let's well, take that for are, music you, into... You, you come around my house today with one suitcase that's, yep. got, that's got a little bit of equipment in it, a yeah. couple of mics and a And it's and the exact device. same mics and device I recorded our last conversation on right. in 2015. Amazing. So I'm still not working. upgraded, still Brilliant. working. Yeah, and so, so I mean, so so the going into the podcast world has been great for me. And it's what's been really cool as well is that, like, there, there, are, there are political questions about my presentation of this album, which I don't want to shy away from. One of which is that, you know, the obvious fact that I'm a man writing about women and yep. that's been discussed on social media ad nauseam. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, my first point to make about that is that the thing I find dismaying is people who try and talk about it like I hadn't thought about the issues before doing this. Yeah. Like I'm an intelligent, I'd like to think I'm an intelligent, thoughtful human. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously I thought about this shit. But the thing that's cool about the podcast is it can present me in that light of trying to be a student rather than a teacher. Yeah. I don't want to sit down and be like, well, here's everything you need to know about this person because I know everything. Yeah. Uh, because I, I really don't. And and so we've had historians and we've had... My favourite one, I wrote a song about Huda Sha'arawi who's an Egyptian women's rights activist from the early 20th century. Her granddaughter is still alive and wow. is an Egyptian feminist and lives in Cairo. And we got her on the phone and I did a wow. podcast with her. And it's, I'm not going to tell her about her grandmother. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like she just schooled me about loads of stuff I didn't know. That's um, amazing. And, 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 you know, so my role in the podcast, if you like it, like I say, is a student rather than teacher. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I, I love that. Again, it's so weird that we can get so restrictive on who can and can't talk about things. I would easily say that a female historian's voice is more valid than a, a male non-historian's voice. Yeah. But they can still both speak on it and still both sure. uh, open it to, to new yeah, yeah. audiences well, and have this discussion. It shouldn't be yeah. w- just one's, only one's valid and the other isn't. There's, 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 there's sure. levels yeah, there's, to there's this there's game. Right. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm hope that at no point have I ever tried to sit here and be like, I understand the female experience. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm trying to do my best to be understanding yeah. uh, uh, of the issues that are raised by, by the people that I've tried to talk about. The other thing, of course, is just that, like, I'm going to make an eighth album because yeah. that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be about something. Yeah. And I can write another 12 songs about the state of my love life if you really want. Yeah. But it just seems to me that at least for one go round, the merry-go-round, <laughs> to take the existing platform, the existing voice that's out there and channel it towards something that's more interesting is, 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 is more valid so yeah. In my mind, than just you know banging on about like I, being sad or about how much I like Elvis. I yeah. love the revealingness of the fact that the first time we're sitting here to talk about an album that's not about the state of you, of your love life and how sad you are, we're doing it at a table that has your wedding plans next to us. <laughs> so there's some well, obvious reasons why are, this yeah, should be are, a different. Although, <laughs> although I mean, this is we, this is ridiculous. I'm now even about to start talking about this. I have actually started working on songs for the whatever the next record is. Yeah, and. 
One of the reasons I love Loudon Wainwright III, and, yes. and I had him on a bill with me at my Lost Evenings Festival this May, and it was just the most incredible privilege to yeah. just share a stage with the guy. But he, so much pop, this is a completely different subject now, but yeah, I'll no, try and go, go. Um, So much pop music's about things that happen emotionally to people between the ages of 16 and 25, right? Yeah. And that's fine, but like, I'm, it's a long time ago, I was 25. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, what I like about Loudon Wainwright is he writes about fatherhood and divorce and relationships yeah. with your parents when you're old, and just these adult topics. And I've got a new song that I've been working on, which is about marriage, yeah. And about a long-term relationship and yeah. about how you make that work. Because it isn't the easiest thing in the world. Um, and, and it's been a really interesting chance for me to try and write about that. Yeah. You know, rather than... It's, it's, in a way, it's, it's easier to write a breakup song. Yeah, completely. Because there's, cause you're just like being pummeled by endorphins and emotions in a, in a kind of an obvious kind of way. And also, you've been exposed to so many examples of those songs. Exactly. There's been so many that's like, right, I know how the how this has to feel I know how yeah. this has to make me feel I know this has, right. has to make someone else feel but to drop that moment in the song where you say something really kind of moving and profound but to do it about something that people don't write about very often is yeah. to me as a writer a much more interesting challenge so um, so that is where I'm probably heading next I love it it's <laughs> but, exciting well, yeah before you get there, <laughs> let's talk about a handful of the women sure. yeah. you've written about. And I kind of, I've, I've made notes of all of them, or I've, I've noted down all of them. Obviously, you've got your own podcast about it. Sure. So I don't want to go for all of them. The album is called No Man's Land. The podcast is Tales from No Man's Which, Land. Which, by the way, there is an, we found out there's already a podcast called No Man's Land and you can't nick somebody else's podcast name. Yeah. So we yeah. had to sort of add a word or two. I'd, I'd, Tales from well, that makes sense. It's nice. Yeah. It distinguishes it as well. Sure. My big re- mistake is that my big breakout solo album was called Distraction Pieces, and I thought that's a great name for a podcast. So my podcast is called Distraction Pieces. I'll forget about the album. So every now and then I'll post saying something about Distraction Pieces, and half the comments will be talking about the album, and half will be talking about the podcast. Sure. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I should have put Tales from Distraction Pieces yeah, 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 or, yeah, or sure, something sure. like that. Can put a little so, bit of clear water between yes, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So are there any that jump out that yeah. you can kind of give a brief kind of, here's this amazing Yeah, well, how I mean, I not write a story about yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, the, well, the, so the first one springs to mind, the story of Dora Hand, and this this goes to the fact that, like I say, I wasn't originally trying to write like a, a feminist record. I think I think it's a record that has feminist angles to it. And yeah. my reticence about that word, briefly, is just about the fact that I don't want to try and lead a parade I'm not supposed to be the person standing at the front of. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, for whatever it's worth, which I suspect is masses, I would consider myself a feminist, but it's like, I don't want to sit here with a big T-shirt on that says, this is what feminist looks like, and try and make out that, like, my feminism is the most important type of feminism or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I want to yeah, be an yeah. ally. Yeah, completely. Anyway, but so with Dora Hand, um, I, read, I read about the Old West all the time. I mean, I read history all the time. The Old West I'm fascinated by, um, you know, it's this hugely fluid society. It's people trying to kind of create social institutions out of nothing. Yeah. All this kind of thing. Um, uh, so I was reading D. Brown's book about the Old West, and he told the story of Dora Hand in two paragraphs, which briefly, she was a woman, she was a very, very successful vaudeville singer in Dodge City in the 1870s. Um, and she ended up, uh, she was a sort of power couple with the mayor, and then a cowboy rode into town, uh, fell in love with her, and then tried to assassinate the mayor and accidentally assassinated her. Wow. Because um, he fired into his bedroom in the dark um, and oh. killed her, and then his heart 
broken, all this kind of thing. Yeah. And it, so Dee Brown tells the story in two paragraphs. Oh, that's the other thing. When she died, they found out that her real name was Dora Hand. She was known as Fanny Keenan and that she was actually um, a, a former opera singer from Boston who'd, like, run away from an abusive husband and come to make a new life for herself in the West. Oh, and, wow. Um, so I read this, and, and it's in two paragraphs, and I kind of wanted to, like, press stop. Do you know what I mean? I was like, what? one take back a minute. What yeah. the fuck? And, uh, and I went and tried to find out as much about her as I could and just couldn't believe that no one had put this in a song before. Yeah. And, then, and then felt like, oh, don't tell anyone about this. Yeah, Do you yeah, know what keep mean? this like, a secret. Yeah, keep, keep this close until you've got the song out there. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that one, I mean, I'm not sure that there's a, there's a huge broader point the song's trying to make i mean you know there's very few female performers from the old west whose names we even know yeah um and uh she was an interesting character in the sense that in a very testosterone driven society she made a name for herself and she established herself and it's fascinating as well to have gone from one performing art right to run away from that and because yeah. vaudeville was very much more rough and Bawdy. ready and yeah, yeah yeah so to yeah, go yeah. from opera and being this to go no that isn't my world i'm gonna hide who i am disguise you know go under a fake name and and and, and push myself into this world that's yeah yeah totally so, so so impressive yeah so so i and a lot of these people they're just people who i think sound like people i'd like to have a drink with yeah um nika rothschild was uh, a daughter of the famous banking family yes um who fought with the free french during the second world war right. um and then she was in the post-war period in the late 1940s she was on a stopover in new york uh, on a flight home and went to a bar and heard Thelonious Monk and went, oh, this is me, and divorced her husband by telegram wow. um, and spent the rest of her life in New York uh, looking after Charlie Parker, Thelonious Monk, all these kind of bebop jazz players. Uh, because, and, and like, wow. and in, fascinatingly and empoweringly to me, not in a sexual way, she didn't sleep with any of these people, she wasn't wow. trying to be a groupie, she just yeah. loved their music and she had some money and they didn't, and she was white and they were generally black musicians, so she had kind of social roots to be able to help them out yeah. um, and she just and she was disowned by her family um there was a huge scandal when uh charlie parker died in her apartment of a heroin overdose right. um and you know and she ditched the life that was presented to her yeah by her upbringing and went no that's not me uh Amazing. and picked a different life and what, i love that was that a a, a challenging one to research at all because the Rothschilds are ones that there's so much conspiracy stuff on like, like, they're, like they're the head of all the conspiracy theories of well, the, Illuminati yeah. this and that and yeah. I've and, no idea what's true and what's well, not there's a, but, there is a degree of creeping anti-Semitism in some of that in my opinion yeah. but like um, actually, her great niece wrote a book about her, which is the song is essentially based on. Great. But what I did for that song, which was really fun for me, I don't know very much about jazz, um, and I certainly don't really know how to play it. But I decided to try and write a jazz song, and I learned wow. a whole bunch of Thelonious Monk chord changes, um, which was all fucking new to me. Yeah, um, and put them in the song, and you know, hired like some jazz players to play on the song, Amazing. and. Uh, and, you know, I definitely had a lot of moments of standing in the control room in the studio kind of going, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But I think that's almost the most <laughs> exciting part of being creative yeah. is the moment where you go, I'm out on a fucking limb here. I've got no idea what I'm doing. Me and Steve Mason did a song together on my solo record called The Struggle. And it was one that I drove. It took me 18 hours to get to him in up in the north of, of Scotland. Right. Um and we got there and we were just, we'd like, we'll have fish and chips and then tomorrow we'll go in the studio. And then we're eating and we started to talk about the track idea and we, and we and went in the studio. The bulk of the song was recorded in that night. We did a little bit the next morning and then I decided to drive home because I was like, well, I'll go now. It's done. <laughs> and on the drive home, I had a mix of it and I was listening 
and I'd listened alone and then I got a phone call f- from him and he was like, is this shit or is it really good? And I was yeah. like, honestly, I think it's really good. It's weird. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a, a, a folk kind of country song um, about Johnny Depp being a serial killer. So it's right. as, about as out there as you get. Yeah, yeah. And then, but, but we had that of like, I don't know if we've just been really tired and made something mental yeah. or if it's good. And it's, I, so it was great that when it was released, it's one of the most popular songs sure. on the record and things well, like that. Yeah, but, that moment where you're kind of like, am I allowed to do this? Yeah, does this make any yeah. sense? Is everyone going to laugh? But then this is where I think this is a... This is a a soundbite, arguably, but like I think the worst place for a creative person to exist is their comfort zone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think about that a lot. And a big part of me deciding to try and write a storytelling album is because I haven't done it before. Yeah. And I don't know how to do it. And it's just like, you know, if it's my eighth record, I've got to do something new. I've got to push myself. Um, and and uh, there were lots and lots of us. Uh, the song Dora Hand has a bluegrass guitar solo on it. Fuck me, I've never done one of those before. Yeah. And it took more than one take. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Um, uh, you know, and just, just, yeah, just trying to find different sort of creative angles. Uh, Catherine Marks, producer I work with, who's a genius, um, there's a song called Silent Key, which is about Krista McAuliffe, who died in the Challenger space shuttle disaster. Oh, wow. She was the primary school teacher who was hired by NASA to interest the children of the world in space travel, who then Ooh. died on international television when it blew up. Oh. Um, so I wrote a song oh, about her, God. but just in terms of the arrangement, we had both, we had a full choir a full string section and kind of like an electronic noise thing going on all at the same time. Yeah. And I was just kind of, I kept sort of being like, maybe we should drop one of these elements. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Maybe yeah, all yeah, three is yeah, a bit yeah, much. Yeah. And Catherine, to her credit, was like, shut the fuck up and sit down. I'm going to mix yeah. this. You just keep doing what I tell you to do. And, uh, and, you know, and it ended up making the sound that it's, I, I think, unlike anything I've done before. I love it. It's ex- exciting. We spoke earlier about, Dizzy Rascal and the restrictions that birthed the gold there kind of thing. And it's a similar thing there. You've put some restrictions on yourself. You can't just fall back on, well, I know how to to write a love song or a breakup song or whatever else. It's like, I've got restrictions of I've got... uh, When I DJ Yoda and he spoke about how that's kind of his favourite way to work, that if you just say, go and write a record, he's like, "Uh," if you say, oh, we need a Halloween record... Yeah, like, well, if we need a, a, a an eighties record, yeah. on you. Well, here's the thing about this though: is that like all creativity is about restriction. Because yeah. when when there is when the no art exists and you sit down with a blank piece of paper or or a guitar or whatever, you could do anything. You could write "Suppers Ready" by Genesis, and you could write, you know, um, "Nervous Breakdown" by Black Flag, and yeah. like there's no, or indeed Beethoven's Fifth, or like a Brian Eno record, and like it is it is definitionally. The art of writing is the art of restriction, the art of limitation. Um, and the thing is, when you're writing not towards a project, you're, you are, whether consciously or subconsciously, you're choosing those limitations. Even yeah. if it's just the question of, I'm going to write about this, or I'm going to write a song that's three minutes long, or I'm going to write a song you know, with a country band or with a drum yeah. machine. You are choosing restrictions. What's interesting about this project to me is that I chose pre-existing restrictions. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that and makes I think sense. That, you know, so it was like... I mean, and there were moments in some of the songs where it was like, right, I need to get to 1953 by the end of verse two. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like <laughs> yeah. I'd sort of allocated different sections of the story to different parts of the song yeah. or whatever. And that was really, I mean, it was, um, it really stoked my creativity. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It really kind of like kicked me off yeah. um, because it was, you know, I knew that I had to cover certain ground in certain ways. It, so It, it, it really... F- Forces and economy of words and sounds mm. as as well. Right, right? I've, I've I've always the 
a lot of my songs have been fictional but character based mm-hmm. and i'll again i'll have a similar thing i was like right by the end of this verse we need to be at this point in the story right yeah and you go like right well all of this stuff i wrote at the start i don't need it it's filler it's not key to the story exactly. it's not key to getting yeah. this across so i'll get rid of that whereas if i didn't have those restrictions it might have been a song about half of that story rather yeah, than yeah or, the or it might have hit. been 20 minutes long yeah. which you know there is a place for from time to time but generally speaking i, I think there are decent artistic reasons why most songs fall between the three and the five minute mark yeah um so yeah it's, it's, so though that sense of limitation was 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 it really like because that was the other thing i did feel a little bit um like i sort of needed something to push me out of my comfort zone kind of thing and, yeah. and in choosing this subject matter suddenly the songs actually started coming really quickly you know and yeah. and when i came across a new person to write about it was just like oh fucking right cool let's get into this yes let's do it let's do it was there anyone you had to bail on there was yeah, anyone you wanted to write about and yeah. you were like, oh, it's just not, I've not got, I've, it's not there. Right, yeah, well, that's it. You, because the thing is, they are songs, first and foremost, rather than history lessons. Yeah. So they were definitely, you have to find your angle in to your subject. They were definitely, so once I'd kind of figured out the theme, I sort of put word out to my better read friends and was like, anyone got any suggestions for this? And I got absolutely fucking buried in suggestions. Yeah. And um, quite a lot of them, it was just like, I don't know how to get into this. Probably the best example is, uh, you know, have you heard of Amelia Earhart? Yes. Yeah, so the, the, the aviation pioneer, first woman to fly across the Atlantic solo. She was German. She was uh, gay. She was cross-dresser. Uh, she spent a lot of time walking around Saudi Arabia on her own. No one knows where she's buried, all this wow. kind of thing. Um, and it's a great story, and I really wanted to put it in a song, and I couldn't find my in. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Again, it's weird, because I mainly know her because of her name being referenced in a song. Right. I, I can't think what the, well, the, the song but then is, but that, her name then has come that, up that was the other thing about wanting to write a song about her is it's a beautiful, poetic-sounding name, Amelia yeah. Earhart. It's got yeah. an internal rhythm to it. Amelia Earhart. You can sing it to um, Eleanor Rigby. Yeah, yeah, completely. There's, there's, I had a historian on called Greg Jenner, who's one of the historians mm, behind mm. Horrible Histories, mm-hmm. and we talked, he did a tweet about Jean de Clisson, who I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with. Not off the top of my head. But when I heard of your project... Um, I was like, this is instantly... This, oh, wait a minute. She, she, she was, was... I do know who she is, yeah. She was a pirate. And yes. So yes. her husband was killed and she got... I think she overtook his fleet and literally hunted down everyone with... Which she was French, so it was everyone with um, a British flag and just killed them. Yeah. I think I did read about and her, it just, actually, yeah. Her story was just absolutely amazing. I was like, that must be such a fun thing to go... Let's delve into history yeah yeah let's, yeah, yeah. let's, let's, totally, let's totally. educate myself well i did i ways. went down a road of trying to find a pirate to sing about and there's actually quite a few um, yeah. uh female pirates there was one called sadie sadie the goat right who was a female amazing. pirate um, a but the, the problem with her is that there was almost no information about her other than her yeah. amazing name yeah. and it was just like i suppose i could have gone into the realm of fiction a bit more with that that would have worked yeah but at the end of the day you know i had lots of irons in the fire and the ones that came are the ones that came i love it is there any kind of temptation already to 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 follow up to <laughs> do more two. because that's it if, if, if you have kind of uh, when you take a breather from it there will be some that you're sitting again 
Never did get round to writing about yeah, yeah, Sega yeah. to go. Well, this, <laughs> quite often I find... Or it'll start to be in your head as you're yeah, on tour yeah, and you'll yeah. be starting thinking well, of a Sega to go. I'm sure song. you know what I'm talking about with this. One of the things with creativity is that walking away from something for a while is quite often solves the problem. Yeah. I actually had a thing... So I've recently been doing 10-year anniversary shows of my early records um, yeah. uh, at the Lost Evens Festival. And there's a song called Live Fast, Die Old, which is the first track on my third record, which I like, but there's something not quite right about it structurally. And even as we were writing it, as I was writing it, as we were rehearsing it and recording it, I just I knew that there was like a pee under the mattress somewhere. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. and then when we were rehearsing it for the 10-year fucking anniversary of the album, <laughs> I figured it out. I figured out what was wrong with it and how to make it right. But then it was like, we can't change it now because people are coming to the show to hear yeah. the song from the album. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? I should have dropped the second pre-chorus. It's, it's, it's such an interesting <laughs> lesson when you go from fan to artist in the music industry. Yeah. And as a yeah. fan the journey finishes when the record is recorded. As an artist, you realise that's so early in the journey yeah. of any record, like yeah, the tour in it. Song. I've yeah. had stuff before that I've, a song has come on the radio and it's an album that's only been out a year or so, but because we toured it straight away, the tweaks had come straight away. Yeah. So the version I knew of the song, even if it's just in my delivery, you know, the yeah, crowd yeah. are still getting what they've come for, but I deliver it slightly different. I'll then hear it on the radio and go, Oh. God, why did I do it like yeah, that? That's yeah, not how yeah, it goes. Yeah. It goes the, like this. Because I've, I've then played it a hundred times. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. One of, one of the older songs that I've played more than any other is a song called Photosynthesis. And I happened to listen back to the original of that the other day and I could barely recognise it. Yeah. And the thing, like you say, it's, it's very subtle things. And like when we play it at the show, people know the song and that's yeah. fine. But I listened to the record and went, fuck, did we play it like that? And the fact it's mad, it's like, that's the version that you guys have heard the most. Mm-hmm. Because you might see me live a couple yeah. of times a year. Yeah, if and that, I, and but I, and I you've heard that all records. these times. Yeah, 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 yeah. You might listen to it every fucking day, yeah. and then we come down, and it's almost a stranger. The version I've heard is completely different because I the hear one that I every last night. night. Yeah, yeah, when I'm playing. Yeah, yeah. It's mad. Yeah, totally. It's well, weird. I'll wrap things up there as we've been going an hour, and it is at the moment listed to be the hottest day of the year, one of the hottest days on record. Yeah. So Let's, you know, let's, let's go, a good time to wrap things it up. Certainly is. Let's go and like have a cold shower. Yeah, I mean. What have you got planned after so, festival season and then a huge day? Are you? Is there a gap? Um, is uh, there yeah, a... I'm going on a honeymoon. Uh, Excellent. Which will be nice. Beautiful. Um, uh, going to uh, Sicily, actually, which will be killer. Um, and, then, uh, and then we've got a tour for this record and then we've got massive plans for next year and I'm thinking about songs for another record and I'm blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, keeping busy. You know so how it is. The constant cycle. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of the things like, this is perhaps, I'm going to try and make this a finishing point. Um, quite, you know, you get often asked a lot of the time in interviews, I'm sure you get it as well, like what advice would you give and all the rest yeah. of it. And I always sort of think about some sort of technical thing or whatever. Um, but actually, I think that probably the best piece of advice I can get is just to, to have irons in the fire all the time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's how anyone who's successful in any field, the way they do it is they've always got eight projects that are half-formed ideas that they're thinking about. The way I've described it is I... I to finish a, a job, I need to have a job I want to do less. Because right, yeah. it's kind of like, I can't face that today. Yeah. I'll get on with yeah, this one. Yeah, but that's yeah, how yeah. I finish things because it's yeah. one that I'm like, I yeah. don't know where I'm going with that. I need to walk yeah. away from it. It's scaring but, me. But for me, you know, it's like, you know, I've got, I've, I've done two books now. I've got an idea for another one. Yeah. You know, they've got this podcast. I'm thinking about what I could do for a podcast afterwards. I've got songs for another record. I've got two side projects on the go. And, and when and how any of these will ever get finished is, is debatable. Yeah. But it's just the action of being 
constantly trying to think two steps ahead. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like, and then within that as well, I mean, you know, in my early days, my email address is still on my website, but like, you know, just trying to be, you know, people would send me a mail going, look, I'm putting together a weird gig. Do you want to do it? And just going, yeah, fuck it. It's two hours of my right. life. Say yes. Let's Say go. yes. Yeah. 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 Do you know what yeah. I mean, as much as you possibly can. And if you do that, then you start to create your own luck. Yeah. after a certain period of time. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, thank you very much for your Mate, time. I'm glad you. that we both what a said yes. Yeah, it's yeah. been a pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs> You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Frank Turner. Um, as said, because we're coming up to uh, the fifth or sixth year anniversary, I know it's around October fifteenth uh, or sixteenth or something is when the first episodes uh, went out all them years ago. Because of that, I'm going to give away some uh, signed copies of the Distraction Pieces book, the Times best-selling Distraction Pieces book, um, which I don't know is available anywhere anymore. I think I've sold out in the web store. I'm not sure. There might be some left, um, but I'm going to give some away for free. So um, I'll tell you the details of that next week. Um, also, if you're about at the end of the month, September 28th, maybe 29th, the last Saturday of the month. Hang on, I'm getting it wrong, actually. Let me just check <laughs> when, because I'm going to tell you about my We Are Lizards club night. Yeah, September 28th. We're back. Uh, we'll be at the book club. We've got a guest DJ of Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly. So that's incredibly exciting. Come along um, and dance the night away with us. It's going to be a right old laugh. I'll also mention the Pod Bible podcast. The love for that has been amazing. Um, I'm hosting a couple of episodes at the moment. So that's exciting. Uh, next week's and the week after, I believe. And the Pod Bible podcast is a 20-minute podcast that's just given you kind of it's it, it has three guests every week and it's an interview with a guest a, a podcaster about their podcast and then an interview with two other podcasts about podcasts that they love so if you're a podcast fan which you are if you're, you're listening to this podcast and even more so if you're listening at the end then it's the podcast for you and it's it's only short the idea of it is that it's their kind of you know, it's a it's it's a it's a, a supplement rather than meal replacement to your weekly podcast diet, and it's there in a break glass in case of emergency because it's only twenty minutes long. It won't it, it won't take up tons of space on your phone. So if you just have it it set on auto download, then it's there at that part of the journey when you're finishing a podcast and you've not really you're almost home you don't want to start another one because you know they're long and you want to lose yourself and take it in its entirety so um that's where that's where we come in with the pod bible podcast it's on obviously itunes Acast, spotify all the good places so go and check out that um and obviously pod bible magazine the podcast comes from the magazine the podcast is every week the magazine is every two months and you can read them all for free at podbiblemag.com and you can follow us at pod bible and all the all the socials and we'll recommend stuff chat we do all sorts of fun things so go and give us a follow in all those places and i will see you n- n- next week yeah it's going to be good i promise you you're going to want to really lock in for the next few weeks in fact the rest of the year 
this is a hell of a year that we're having at the moment. Um, a lot of people feel the, the Sarah Pascoe episode was the best episode we've ever done. A lot of people feel the Joe Gilgan episode is the best episode we've ever done. Believe me, I've got some more to contend for that before the year is out, let alone, you know, in, in, in the distant f- f- future. So thank you for tuning in. Um, hopefully I'll see a lot of you at We Are Lizards. I'll be there in a rubber lizard mask. I'm always there from like 7.30 until like 2, 3 a.m. So come and say hello, hang out, have a drink, have a dance, um, have a f- f- photo there's a photo booth there if you want to grab me at some point. Earlier the better, because as the night gets gets busy and I get more drunk, I kind of want to just get down. But um, yeah, come on down and we'll have a good old laugh. So I'll see you at the book club uh, on Saturday the 28th of September and I'll see you all next week. Peace. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.